Well, I've got about a five-minute message this morning. You guys laughing. I think you know me better. It's actually about a two-hour message that we're going we're gonna to squeeze into 50 minutes, right? 40 minutes. My message is 40 minutes. <laughs> All right. So if you would, grab your Bibles or your phones. Hopefully you guys have, you know, there's something about having a Bible. Like it's, you actually know where it is. You get to see it. You get to write in it. I would encourage you guys, bring your Bibles. Uh, start to, as we're going to dig into the Word, I talked about a few weeks ago how, how important it is to get into the Word. It's really hard to do it on a phone and like, and really dig in. So I would encourage you guys, if you don't use a Bible all the time, get a Bible that you're comfortable with and really begin to dig into it. Write in it, take notes. It's not supposed to be clean. It's supposed to have all sorts of scribbles on it and everything. So, uh, Not from your kids, though. Uh, all right, so open to, to Luke 6, 46. And we're going to read a parable this morning. Before we do, I've got a little story for you here, just to get you guys going. In class one day, Mr. Jackson pulled Johnny over to the desk after a test and said, Johnny... I have a feeling that you've been cheating on your tests. Johnny was astounded and asked Mr. Jackson to prove it. Well, said Mr. Jackson, I was looking over your test, and the question was, who was our first president? And the little girl next to you, Mary, said George Washington, and so did you. So everyone knows that he's the first president, said Johnny. Well, just wait a minute, said Mr. Jackson. The next question was, who freed the slaves? Mary put Abraham Lincoln, and so did you. Well, I read my history book last night, and I remember that, said Johnny. Well, wait, wait, said Mr. Jackson. The next question was, who was the president during the Louisiana Purchase? Mary put, I don't know. And you put, me neither. That actually has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today. (laughs) All right. I do want to say, just make a quick statement, that as I am up here, the things that I say, and I know you know this, but they are not infallible. I I am not the Word of God. And so the only thing that is infallible is the Word of God. And so I would encourage you, whether it's me, whether it's Pastor JR, whether it's Pastor Jeff, don't take what we say as gospel. I want you guys to learn to dig in to the truth and make sure and test the things that we're saying. Test them in your heart. Test them in the word and make sure that they are accurate. All right? All right, let's pray because I need it. We all need it. Father, I just thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, I pray that you prepare all our hearts. Lord, I thank you that everyone who is in this place is in this place for a reason. Lord, that it will not be my words. It'll be your word that penetrates deep into people's heart. Lord, use me as a vessel. But Lord, I pray that anything that does not is not from you, Lord, would fall short. But anything that is from you, Father, that it would penetrate deep into the hearts of all of us today. Lord, that we would carry your word forth We would carry it in our hearts, Lord, that you would begin to transform us through an understanding of revelation of who you are. Lord, that you would invade our lives for the kingdom. Lord, that you would change us 
that we would never look back. We would never look back at the things that we've had, but at the things that we're going to have for eternity. Lord, change us, make us yours completely and totally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's read. Luke 6, 46. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I want to read this in another context here as well. And you can just follow along, or you can, if you have in your, Bible, your Bibles there, just jump over to, uh, to Matthew 7, 24. And I think we have it up there, too. I don't, yep, we do. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I know you guys have heard this. Probably many times we've talked about building your house on the rock and not building it on the sand. And and I think we tend to look at this as... uh, as something, well, we're building our house on the rock because we're building it on Jesus. And those that are not Christians are building their house on the sand. But I don't believe that's what Jesus was saying here. And I want to walk you through this because I think it's so important that we understand. I think a lot of times, many things that we're doing, we are not building on the rock. We're actually building sand or castles in the sand. We're building things that do not last. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. And I, want to, I just want you to ponder this as we, as we talk about it, that what are the things, what are the castles that you're building in the sand? All right? Just begin to think of that. And I, if you would, pull out, if you guys have your notes, I just want you to pull them out. You know, it's important... A lot of times we think, oh, we'll remember this stuff. We don't remember this stuff. We don't remember it an hour after we walk out of this building. So I would just encourage you, the things that God impresses on your heart this morning, write them down and go back and just, just look over them just, and pray over them and say, God, why, why, am I, why did I write this down? And let him just speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit just speak into your heart because there are some things I believe this morning that God wants to, to, to talk to each one of us. It may be different for all of us. So just write the things that God really impresses on your heart this morning. Write them down. Don't try to remember them. So I'm going to go back in this scripture. I'm going to go back to the Luke one here. Uh, It starts out and it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? So I want to point out here 
that both the builders, both the wise builder and the foolish builder, they called him Lord, Lord. Secondly, it says, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words. And then as he's talking about the, the foolish builder, he says, but the one who hears my words. So again, second thing, both the builders heard the words. They heard the words of Jesus. Now the third thing is on the first one, on the wise builder, it says, and puts them into practice. He builds his house on a solid foundation. But the foolish builder says, he hears the words, but he does not put them into practice. And he's the one that's building his house on the sand. So I believe this is for all of us this morning, because a lot of times we say, Lord, Lord, we know he's our God. We hear the words, but the questions are, are we doing what he's told us to do? Are we going after the things that he's called us to do? You know, this was in, the, in Matthew here, especially, uh, well, both of them, it's the same story, but uh, this is actually at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking uh, to the crowds. This is actually the longest kind of dissertation, the longest sermon that Jesus has in the Bible. And this is the very last thing that he says. And I, I'll tell you, typically when someone's giving a sermon, when someone's talking, the last thing they say is pretty important. So I want to heed these words. I mean, I want to heed everything in the Bible, but I think it's especially important when, you, when you're coming to the end of this, this is the last thing he says before he leaves from, this, from, the, from the mountain there. And then my question is, we're talking about doing the words. What are these words that, that we're supposed to hear? If you go to the, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, the, it's called the Beatitudes, but the very first thing he says, his first words are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I believe what he's doing here is he's, he's beginning to explain something that has never been explained before. He's talking about a new kingdom that in the Old Testament, there were some words, there was some, uh, some kind of foretold of what's to come, but there was no understanding of what this new kingdom was. And so what Jesus is doing here is in this Sermon on the Mount, he begins to lay out what the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of heaven is. When you see the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, it's the same thing. Uh, Matthew, it's kingdom of heaven. Uh, Mark, Luke, it's kingdom of God. Uh, but... Uh, he is explaining what the kingdom of God is. And he's describing a kingdom that is foundationally different than our earthly kingdom. So when we live, when, here's the thing, when we begin to live in Jesus' words, we actually begin to live in the kingdom of God. I want us to do a little self-evaluation. So here's where you can pull out your pen, your paper. This is the first question I want you to, to just to think about here. To what degree is your life fulfilled? Are you satisfied with the way you're living? Are you satisfied uh, with the relationship you have with your spouse, with your kids, 
Are you giving enough away? Are you uh, having the relationships that you want to have with others? Uh, do you feel fulfilled in, in the work that you're doing? Are you putting others first? Are you just where are you overall in your fulfillment of life? And so I, I want to want you to do this and actually write it down, uh, and you can kind of hide it there, if, especially if it's a one. You know, you don't want to have your neighbors see that. And, if it's a 10, you're probably going to hold it out and write it. That's okay. Uh, but I want you to just write that down between a 1 and a 10, just where you feel like you are. And this is, this is for you. It's only for you. It's just to kind of begin to evaluate where we are in life. And I try to do this on an ongoing basis because a lot of times we get so caught up in the things of life that we actually we don't stop and just look at where we are and the things we're doing. And the thing is, is things don't change when we continue to do what we're doing. We can't expect to see different results. The only time we can expect to see different results is if we change what we're doing, right? So the next question I want you to answer is, what do you believe your priorities are right now? Not what they should be. What are your priorities right now? And again, don't try to impress yourself or don't try to impress your spouse. Just be honest and just write down. What, do you, what are the, and write down maybe the top two or three things. What are the priorities in your life? Next thing I want you to do is, is write down the top two or three things that take the majority of your time. And this is excluding work, sleeping, eating, and excluding the necessities. What are the things that take the majority of your time? So this could be things like uh, Facebook, social media, spending time on your cell phone, on calls all the time. Or we, use, we call them devices, using our devices. Uh, television, fantasy football. I hate to mention this in this church, but the Broncos. <laughs> but your kids', your kids sports, even like scrapbooking, going to the gym, working out. What are the things that you're spending the majority of your time doing? And I want to stop here, and I just want to take take a look at one of the major time suckers, call them time suckers, uh, in America today, and I think in other parts of the the world as well. But uh, I pulled up some statistics, and uh, let me ask you this. How many of you have a television in your home? Wow, not that many. (laughs) I think you're lying if you don't have a television in your home. Who doesn't have a television in their home? All right, all right. We have one. (laughs) <laughs> two. We've got two. Okay. That's awesome. Well, here's, I, I just want to show you some statistics. Just watch this. The average American watches more than five hours of live television per day. They end up spending ultimately nine years of their life watching television. You talk about something that can change a culture. When you have nine years of your life, that's more than school. And this is day and night. That's more than anything else that you'll probably do. Maybe work. You'll do more work. Second thing is 67% of American families habitually watch TV during dinner. To me, that's a sad number. 67% of families watch TV during dinner. Students, on average, spend 33% more time watching TV than they do going to school. 
It's an average of 1,200 hours per year for students. And this one really disturbs me. Our youth has seen an average of 150,000 violent acts on TV by the time they are 18 years old. So I look at, you look at, this is just one thing, and I'm just trying to just kind of point this out, that you look at TV, and TV in itself is not a bad thing. It's kind of like money is not a bad thing. The love of money is the root of all evil. But I believe the television can be used uh, and is used, and I believe the, the enemy actually uses the television to break families apart, to, to separate relationships. And if you look at the amount of time that is spent watching TV, you got to look at this and say, okay, how much of that time is actually productive time? How much of that time is building your house on the rock? And how much of that time is building your house on the sand? For our family, we decided about three years ago, we just cut out cable TV altogether. Actually, it was longer than that. But, and it's, it's been a great thing. Um, we, also, we don't have a DVR. We don't have anything that records. And so we don't feel like we have to come back and watch a show that we've recorded. Um, and it's actually been really freeing. And so we don't have the TV on uh, ever or barely at, at all. I mean, sometimes we'll watch like something on a Netflix show or something like that, but um, TV is rarely on. And it's been so free. And the other thing that's just more recent, uh, I think everyone has one of these. We call them devices. And in our world today, it's so funny. Uh, I was up here with the worship team before, and every one of them, they're sitting here like this. And they all have their devices. <laughs> and it's like, some, they're not, they don't even have them on, but they all have their devices. And it's this thing that we have where, like, we have to have this thing close to us. If it's not, if it's not like, in arm's reach, like, our heart starts to pound, right? <laughs> so what we did is we decided, and this, I can't say I took, I can't take any credit in this, um, because I was actually the culprit of the reason why we actually went to this, <laughs> is that night, uh, I had a tendency, I'd come home for dinner, I'd be racing home, you know, get home around 7 or something and come in for dinner, but then I'd be catching up on the 45 texts that I need to answer and, and the 20 phone calls. And so uh, what we did is something called the three-hour challenge. And so the three-hour challenge is from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night, that we basically shut down the devices. And so I've told my staff this. I've said, okay, guys, from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock, Monday through Friday, like, I am not going to be available. And, uh, and I tell you, it has been really hard. <laughs> it has not been easy. And I can say that I have not always succeeded in the three-hour challenge. Uh, but I am working on it. And, uh, and I know especially for my kids. I've got my, nine, or my 10-year-old daughter down here. She's always the one saying, Dad, get off your device. <laughs> and so when your kids are telling you that, you got to start listening, right? Amen. All right, let's move on. Uh, Hebrews 12, 26 through 29. I think we have it up here. This is a powerful scripture verse. Uh, it says this. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicating the removing of what can be shaken, that is, thing, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, 
which is fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I want to encourage you. We need to begin to focus on the things that cannot be shaken. So next question. Do you think that God's priorities, his design for us, matches up with the way we are living our lives today? And you may say, well, I'm questioning what, are, what is God's design for me? What are his priorities in my life? I'm glad you asked, because I have seven things up here that I want to quickly run through. These are the things that I believe are the top priorities. This is what we were designed for. This is who we are. Number one is to live in relationship with our God. We are created for this relationship, and God is a jealous God. He makes it very clear. Uh, in Mark 12:30, it says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And in, in uh, Matthew 6, it says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. This is a command. This is what we're supposed to do. Secondly, love those around us. Love our neighbors. Our neighbors are not, only, are not always our, the friendly people, but we're supposed to love our family. We're supposed to love our friends. We're supposed to love acquaintances. We're supposed to love our, the strangers. And the hardest one of all is we're supposed to love our Enemies, that's right. Easier said than done, but it's something that we are, are commanded to do. In John 15, 12, it says, uh, love each other as I have loved you. The next one is obey the commands of Jesus. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Next one is we were created for his glory. In Isaiah 61 Three says this. This is the second part of it. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The fifth one is we were created for worship. And here in Colossians 1.16, it says, all things were created by him and for him. The next one is we're created for good works. And a lot of times we think, well, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. And that is true, but we are created for good works. Jesus says this, or actually, Paul says this. Uh, he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The last one, we are Christ's ambassadors for the work of reconciliation, for the ministry of reconciliation. And 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, for this is from God, whom reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Also in Mark 16.15, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So these, I believe, these are just, there's probably more, but I think these are some of the top things that I believe we are created for, the purposes that are in our life. Here's the thing. We can't afford 
to not know what the Word of God says about us. I talked about this a few weeks ago, and this really is kind of part two of, of what I talked about a few weeks ago. God put this on my heart when I was going to speak uh, on It's Your Call, which was three weeks ago now. And uh, I couldn't put it all into one message. So this is really kind of the second half of this, which is tied to it. But we cannot afford to not understand the word of God in our lives, what we're, we were created for. God has given us this manual. And I know you guys, if you were here a few weeks ago, we saw the little red tractor and how the farmer, he found this, this manual for the tractor. And before they were just kind of pushing the tractor along and going inch by inch uh, each day. And he realized that there was much more to the tractor. But what he, he didn't just find the, the, the manual. He actually read the manual, understood the manual, and then began to operate the tractor. He actually had to fix the tractor and then operate the tractor. And in the same way, we have to, we have to read the manual. We have to begin to fix the things in our lives that are out of order, that are out of place. And then we begin to function in the capacity that God's called us to function in for his kingdom. Ultimately, as we begin to understand this, we will position ourselves with the spirit of wisdom and power and revelation to operate at the capacity that he wants us to operate in, to do the work of the kingdom, not only on earth, but also in heaven. Jesus says, greater things will you do than I've done on this earth. He impacted not only the kingdom on earth, but the kingdom of heaven. I've got a quote from Bill Johnson. He's always uh, has just powerful things that he says. It just kind of hits you in the gut. And this, this is one of them. Your demonstrated value for the voice of the Lord is what determines the degree to which you attract more promises in your life. Let me just walk through that with you real quick. It says, the demonstrated value for the voice of the Lord. So it's not just having the value, not just saying, I get it. It's a demonstrated value. It's an action. The demonstrated value for the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is his commands. That's what determines the degree in which you attract more promises in your life. In Joshua 1.8, which is a great... Scripture verses is one just to kind of memorize. Uh, he says, it says this, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This is the Old Testament. I know you go, well, that's, that's kind of old news. Give me the new stuff. Well, let, me, let me read something even better. In, uh, in John 15, Jesus says this. He's talking about the vine and the branches. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's a powerful statement. He goes on to say, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It requires that we remain in him. And remaining in him means, this is the definition of it, is to continue to possess a particular quality or fulfill a particular role. We have to continue to possess what God has called us to 
we have to continue to possess the commands that he has given us and, and have them in our lives so that we can walk them out. We have to understand them first. And this is where digging into the word is so important. Here's the cool thing, too, is in the New Testament, we have uh, one up kind of on everybody in the Old Testament. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And it's something we can't forget. It's not just following after his commands, but the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us that understanding, that truth, that wisdom. John 16, 13 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 12, God's wisdom is revealed when he says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit that is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. We do not get the spirit of revelation until we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, working through us. It's spirit and truth. It's the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Now what it is, is it's just, it's, it's being able to listen. It's a still small voice. It's not going to overpower you. We have the choice of how we want to handle it. But if we listen to the Holy Spirit, that's when we're going to begin to operate in the power for the kingdom. Last question here that I want to ask you guys. Are we living our lives according to all the commands that Jesus has set before us? Or are we kind of picking and choosing the ones that work the best for us? I guess the question comes down to, are we living according to our own terms? Or are we living according to God's terms? And God's terms are not just to pick out the commands that sound great, the, the easy commands. We got to go through the difficult ones as well. And in the end, there is fulfillment in this. And it's the fulfillment that's in him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. This is what Paul says. Now, he, didn't, he wasn't actually crucified. But his, his self was crucified with Christ. That he no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This scripture alone will rock our worlds when we begin to truly understand it and we, and we begin to operate in this. I want to read a second parable, and I'm going to move quickly here. This is, uh, and this ties to the first parable. This is actually the parable of the sower. This is in Luke 8. So again, you can turn, and we'll have it up on the screen. It says, while a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And he scattered, he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky, rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns. They grew up with it and choked the plants. 
Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. Then he says, this is Jesus, whoever hears, let him hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is really, this is not like ears. It's, it's a discernment. It's the Holy Spirit inside of, of us. It says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So the funny thing is, is the, all the disciples said, uh, Jesus, we don't understand what you're saying. So, and these are the disciples. These are the ones that are walking with Jesus. And so Jesus goes on to explain this, this parable. And this is what he says. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the evil one comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. And I want to say, just as in the other parable of the, of the wise and the foolish builder, a lot of times we read this scripture as well, and we tend to think that we're the ones that have the good soil, that the seed is being planted in good soil. And I would question that in all of our lives, not just your lives, in my life as well. I mean, as I've gone through this sermon, I mean, this, this has really hit me hard. And there's a lot of things I'm questioning in my life. And I hope that you begin to do the same here. But I believe a lot of the church is this third seed. It's planted and it's being choked out by the worries of this life, by the riches and by pleasures. In Mark 4.18, which is a parallel scripture to this, it says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things to come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I believe a lot of times this is, this is the place where we're living in right now. There are so many things in our life. There's the deceitfulness of wealth. There's a, there's a desire to be wealthy on this earth. And I know we've said this before, but we can't take any of it with us. When, it's, when we're gone, we don't get to see it again. Let me go on to verse 15 here. It's, it's still up. Verse 15 says this. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. And this is a key part of it right here, with a noble and good heart. Those who hear the word, again, similar to the other parable we talked about, they hear the word, they retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. So the question is, I look at this as a litmus test in our lives is what's the fruit that we are producing in our lives right now? What's the eternal fruit that, that we are producing in our lives? Or do we have the soil that is clean, that allows these seeds to grow up to produce fruit Are our lives? Are, we getting, are these things in our lives choking out the true destiny that God has for us here on earth and all the way into heaven? I'm going to 
let me say this. The word persevere, at the end there in verse 15, it says, and by persevering, produce a crop. I believe this is a word for our church. I believe this is a word for the church. We need to become those that persevere. The crop doesn't just come. There is a persevering that happens. And this is the definition of persevering. It's to contend. It's to continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty or with little or no prospect of success. To struggle on, to hammer away, being persistent, being determined, seeing something through, not taking no for an answer, being tenacious, standing on one's ground, standing firm, holding on, going the distance, staying the course, stopping at nothing and leaving no stone unturned. That's the word for the church. That's the church that we need to be. We need persistence. We need to go after the things of God. It's not going to just come to us. We have to begin to dig into the word. We have to begin to understand it. We have to begin to pursue the heart of God. I believe in that. We will begin to see much fruit. It says a hundred times. If we see a hundred times what we plant, I'd say that's a good thing. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This kind of sums it up. So how do we live our lives? At the end of the day, we need to realize that this is a heart matter. This isn't, this isn't coming down to like, well, I'm doing this, and so, so that's, that's the answer. If, as long as I'm doing the things God's called me to do, I'm good. It actually really comes down to the heart. Matthew 6, 8, which is a great scripture, says, what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's a matter of the heart. I want to tell you a quick story. Rich Mullins, he was an artist. Uh, He was born in 1955 in Richmond, Virginia. If we could get, I don't know if the worship team's here, but if they want to come up. Uh, he studied music from a very young age. His grandmother would teach him how to play hymns, and he wrote his first song at the age of four. In 1981, he began his Christian music career when Amy Grant recorded one of his first songs. He went on to write songs uh, that have since been covered by many bands like Third Day, Michael W. Smith, uh, Rebecca St. James, Jars of Clay, and many more. He had many popular songs like Awesome God, his creed. Uh, but here's the thing is he never went mainstream due to his convictions and his heart for the lost. After releasing his first two albums in the mid-'80s, he actually left for a period, became a missionary to South Korea and to Thailand, and later went on to move to New Mexico to live on the Navajo Reservation. 
He gave most of his money to the church and to charities. He only took a small, just a modest salary to live on. And at the age of 41, he was tragically killed in an auto accident on I-39 in Illinois. Uh, Illinois. He was uh, driving down, got on, uh, caught on some ice, started spinning around, and was hit by a semi-truck going the other direction. Instantly killed and tragically killed at 41 years old. Two months before his tragic death at a concert in Lufkin, Texas, Rich Mullins proclaimed these words to the crowd. I have them up here. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it to me. And this is what I've come to think, that if I want to identify fully with Jesus Christ, who I claim to be my Savior and Lord, the best way that I can do this is to identify with the poor. This, I know, will go against the teachings of all the popular evangelical preachers, but they're just wrong. They're not bad. They're just wrong. Christianity is not about building an absolute security little niche in the world where we can, whoops, <laughs> read it up here. Christianity is not about building an absolute secure little niche in the world where we can live with your perfect little wife and your perfect little children in a beautiful little house where you have no gays or minority groups anywhere near you. Christianity is about learning to love like Jesus loved and Jesus loved the poor, and Jesus loved the brokenhearted. This guy got it. He died at the age of 41, but he died a full life. He gave his life from the very beginning. He didn't wait until the end to say, okay, now I'm going to start impacting lives of others. He did it all throughout his life. And I want to say we never know when our last days will come. We don't know what the last day we're going to live on this earth will be. It can be tomorrow. The question is, what are we going to leave on this earth? What are we going to leave behind? Will we leave the sandcastles that we've built that are going to get washed away with the next storm? Or are we going to build our lives on the words and the commands of Jesus, our rock? There's a parable in Luke 12 that says this. It says, for he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Church, we cannot fall for the American dream. We can't get caught up in the things of this earth, the earthly kingdom. We have a heavenly kingdom. We can't take it with us. So let's use what we have now. Let's use our talents, our treasures, our time to make an impact now for eternity, for his kingdom. I want to talk about one more thing here before we go. I think this is important. 
This is, this is the dichotomy here of the world's, the world's kingdom versus our kingdom. This is what the world says. And I went and I looked up in the Global Economic Forum, which says there's the top 10 things, top 10 concerns for the world, according to the Global Economic Forum. Food securities, inclusive global economic growth, unemployment, climate change, future global finances, future of the internet, gender equality, global trade and investments, long-term investing and healthcare. Top 10 concerns of the world. In the words of my four-year-old daughter, that's disgusting. That's just plain disgusting. Isn't it amazing that God's kingdom is completely opposite of the world kingdom? Here's the thing. There are over one billion people right now that are suffering from homelessness or from hunger. There are 30,000 children that will die today because of hunger or a preventable disease. There are over 58 million babies that have been aborted legally since 1973. A cry for the unborn that I know our Father hears and that I can't even imagine. There are at least 20.9 million adults and children that are bought into worldwide and commercial slavery. There are 2 million children that are exploited every year in the global sex trade. There are 62,000 people that are going to die each day without knowing Jesus. There are 2 billion people that have never heard the gospel. And there are 7,000 ethnic groups in this world that don't know who Jesus is. These are the challenges of today. I was on my knees yesterday just in repentance for the things of this, of this world, for the things that are going on, for my actions, actually for, I'd say, lack of action. And God gave me two words for the church today, not this church, but the church in the Western Hemisphere. Innocuous and impotent. And innocuous means inoffensive, harmless, mild, and bland. Impotent means powerless, weak, ineffective, and feeble. I don't want to be this church. I want to be a church that perseveres after the things of God. And I hope you guys want to as well. I know that's your heart. And I believe sometimes we just get caught up in the things of this world. Let's no longer get caught up in the things of this world. Let's live our lives not in the pleasures and the comfort of this life, not entangled in the web of worries and concerns about our jobs, about the things that are happening on this earth that don't matter in eternity. Let's take a chance. Let's risk everything we have on this life, in this life, 
for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. Jesus says, I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We may think that we're living at peace right now. Here's the thing, I think we're living asleep in the middle of a war. And we have a choice, we can either continue sleeping until we die, or we can wake up and fight for our children who are dying daily because of hunger, because of disease, for the women and children who are sold in the sex trade, for the 62,000 people who are gonna die without knowing Jesus. We can start this actually in our own backyard. Even in Douglas County, right now there are 910 homeless students in Douglas County. There are 270,000 residents in Douglas County who do not know Jesus. There are 13,000 that are living below the poverty level here in DC, in Douglas County. And there are five over 5,000 without a job. So I wanna encourage you guys this morning. We need to stop. Stop looking at the concerns and the worries of this world. Don't let the seeds get choked out by the worries of this world. Let's go after them with everything that we have. You guys up for it? Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, I pray that your words, your truths, Lord, would go deep in our hearts this morning. Lord, that we wouldn't walk out of here the same as that we came in. Lord, that you would begin to change our lives from the inside. Transformation starts with us. We can't transform the world until our lives are transformed. We have to transform our own lives. We have to then begin to work into our families, those around us, and then begin to work into the world. So Father, I pray that you would begin to operate in us in a greater capacity. Father, give us the spirit of revelation for kingdom things, Lord, that we would no longer focus on the things of this earth, Lord, give us your heart. Give us your understanding. Lord, I pray that we would lay down the things that so entangle us and that we would press on towards the mark of the high calling. Father, we love you with all that we have. Lord, we worship you with all that we have. Lord, let our lives be a sacrifice that we may love you, that we may worship you, that we may have a deep, intimate relationship with you. And that out of that, Lord, we would walk into the fullness of what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.